Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport, the home of cycling, in association with Lacquer Bicycle Insurance. I'm Graham Wilgos. He is. Brad, the final day of the final Grand Tour, final race of the season for the men's pro peloton. We, we've made it, and, and with we've us this week on the Bradley Wiggins Show. Sean Kelly. Ken, Welcome Ken Kelly, Walter Winner. Welcome back, Sean. 1988 Walter Winner. Evening. The perfect man to have on as we look back on, on quite a race. Quite a race. Let's Let's pick up where we left off before we get into the, the season's end and, and reflect on just what an amazing season this has been. Brad, last time we spoke, or Sean, in fact, because you were, you were this when we uh, we were looking forward to the time trial last week. Primoz Roglic won it by a, a second in the end. But was that the, the first point at which you thought he's not going to be caught for this welter? No, I, I think uh, we're expecting to be uh, a more dominant uh, time trial from uh, Primus Roglic. The other uh, challengers in the overall standings, they put up great performance, uh, notably Richard Carapaz and uh, Hugh Carty. He put up a, a real strong time trial. And um, it was something we were um, talking about. His team uh, owner, Jonathan Walters, he said, careful. Hugh Carty's a better time trialist, and he certainly was. He only lost 25 seconds and came in fourth on the day, so he lost 25 seconds to, to Roglic. Um, Brad, you picked up on the fact that it was it was Roglic who seemed to be looking forward to the time trial, and, and um, yeah. he'd be on his he'd be on his TT bike to warm down after um, pretty much every stage in that second week. Yeah, and I think it was probably the time trial that won him the race, really. He, he limited his losses in areas, had good days, bad days, but that time trial, I think, psychologically after the Tour de France must have been quite hard for him to really focus on I mean he's renowned as a time trialist and, and he got humiliated at the Tour he only won by a second didn't he he did the time yeah. trial so you know it was still close but I think had he finished second in that time trial it would been quite, quite hard for him I think yeah. but to win by one second and assert his dominance he won four stages in this race as well didn't he yes well I think uh, you know when you talk about the time trial um, it's all about the GC standings and uh, the guys who are going to be challenging then in the final week uh, that's what uh, Primus Roglic was looking at and uh, he did take uh, time from those guys uh, who were you know, really uh, breathing down his neck uh, to win the race outright. He did put a bit of daylight but not as much as maybe he was expecting or I was expecting. I thought he would really crush it in the time trial but uh, yeah, uh, that didn't happen and that... Uh, it uh, led us into the final week of racing with you know, a very interesting race, which it turned out to be. We saw Roglic beaten to second on stage 16 by Magnus Court, Education First. A lot has been made of the fact that he's picked up a lot of time bonuses over the, the course of the, the Vuelta, which has ultimately meant the difference between him and Richard Carapaz. Um, is that, I mean, to me, he absolutely des deserves it. And, and he's won by dint of being the better all-round racer because he's able to position himself and then sprint for the line. Whereas Carapaz, yeah. you, you'd say, is, is more of an overall GC man in that his, his real strength lies in the mountains. Yeah, I mean, I think I would agree with that. Um, the, you know, being the best all-rounder is about being as good as good at everything, really. Carapaz lacks in some areas, I think it's fair to say. Um, 
he's good in the mountains, he's a good attacker, but um, I would agree with that, Graham. Oh, that's it first, first for everything, sure. <laughs> of course, Bradley, he won his races by, you know, being dominant in the time trials, being there always in the mountains, but uh, pick up bonuses, that wasn't his uh, cup of tea, where it was my cup of tea during my career, so I can, you know, relate that to, uh, you know, when I was challenged to win the Vuelta and those other races, um, the... Um, the time bonus at the finish were very important to me because I had to go on fight to get them uh, because I knew I was going to be in trouble in the mountain stages. And uh, Primus Roglic is, you know, the same in this Vuelta. He really, you know, any opportunity, uh, as you talked about, when he finished second in the stage to uh, Magnus Court, he was very disappointed coming over the line that he hadn't won the stage and taken all maximum time bonuses. And that, uh, I think, gave us an, inv- an indication that he wasn't comfortable with the lead he had going into the um, the final climb um, um, on Friday on that big mountain stage. Le Covetia. Yes. Yeah. And, um, but as Bradley said, if you have that talent where you can be there in the mountains, you can be good in the, very good in the time trials, but you can also pick up time bonuses on those flat stages where you know, you get into the finish with a small group of riders. You know, that is a huge challenge to have. And, uh, yeah, when you look at this uh, Vuelta, that's the way um, Primus Roglic won it, by being present all the time, and uh, the bonuses were very important to him. On that final climb that, that we were all looking at to make the difference on GC, we saw Richard Carapaz strike out and, and try to make the difference up. Did he leave it too late in the end? Maybe, well, in hindsight, probably he did, but he lost time some days, you know, gained time some days. I think all the contenders were a bit like that, really. Um, Rolich lost time some days to Carapace and vice versa. And it was very back and forth, wasn't it? And confidence is a big thing. And the only one who really rode with any real confidence, I thought, in his ability was um, Hugh Carthy. I mean, he really, from that Angleroo stage, when, when he committed, he committed at the right time and went. But would you say he rode for a podium after that point? McCarthy, or did you think he tried to win the race? Or? Well, I think he rode uh, more conservatively, yeah. uh, but he did attack yesterday on the, the climb to the Covertilla. He was the first one, um, you know, when they did start attacking from the big favourites. He was the one who opened it up and tried to blow it, burst it up. But, uh, you know, looking at Richard Carapaz, on that climb to Covatilla, there was a headwind. And, you know, he was uh, concerned about that. If you hit out too early, you know, you're, you're going to pay because if the rider's behind, there's a few riders together and they just pull together. It's, you know, it makes a huge difference. And where Carapaz was missing out is the team to drive it up the climb and to, you know, to take it into the steep part with a number of kilometres out at an infernal pace. And uh, that's what was missing. Uh, and I think if Carapaz had a much stronger team, he would have done that yesterday. But of course, on the final climb, he had nobody left with him. So you have to wait and, you know, pick your moments. And, uh, you know, when he did strike out, it was uh, going to be always difficult to pull out what he needed to pull out on Primus Roglic in that short space of uh, distance. I mean, we saw Carapaz on his own without Ineos riding for him. For once, we actually saw Roglic on his own without Sepp Kuss, uh, which, which was in itself a novelty. I say he was on his own. In the end, we saw Enrique Mass riding for... It almost looked like he was riding for Roglic. What was Mass's aim there on that final climb? Well, I don't know. Is he up at contract next year? Is he going to go to Yumbo? Well, uh, <laughs> well he's, I think, he's not one of their incoming transfers, so far well, as I know. First, first of all, it was an interesting one that uh, we see Max Soler he was riding, and then Mass rode also a bit. But Mass 
though he was thinking of his place in the overall standings. Dan Martin was ahead of him, and Dan Martin was uh, in difficulty quite a long ways uh, down the climb. So I reckon that he was trying to gain as much time as possible, try and move up a place in the uh, in the GC standings, and that's why Solar just gave it his all, and then Mass himself rode a bit, and uh, you know that did help. Um, um, Primus Roglic in that uh, in that part of the climb where it was you know the very strong headwind, but you're always going to have riders that are thinking their own place in the overall standings when you get to that point in the race, the penultimate uh, day, the penultimate climb of the Vuelta. So you know it's nothing new, and uh, they're all trying to defend or trying to move in the GC standings. Brad, did you feel like Roglic was going to lose it at the end there for the second time? No, I did think that for a while actually. I was on the edge of my seat. So Roglic taking the red jersey in the end, Carapaz 24 seconds, Hugh Carthy, um, he's had, provisionally he's had an extra 28 seconds added to his time, so he's rounded out the podium, 1 minute 15, um, time added on because he drifted to the back of the bunch today, that hasn't changed his position, position overall, that feels a bit harsh, doesn't it? They quite often stop the time, don't they, on the last yeah. laps? Especially for GC, it, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't tend to... Walking a tightrope doing that, really, really. Well, I mean, Dan Martin, two minutes 43. So, I mean, we should mention Martin, actually, Sean. Um, the highest Grand Tour finish by an Irishman since. Yes, well, Dan was uh, in excellent shape in this Vuelta. Yeah, he has a difficult year uh, getting his stage victory, of course. And, uh, you know, then he was always uh, fighting for the uh, place on the podium. And of course, again, the individual time trial, uh, you know, that's where he suffered. He lost his place to uh, Hugh Carty, uh, who yeah, put in a real strong performance. But, you know, if you look back at uh, Dan's career and um, when you when you come to the individual uh, time trials, that's where he's always suffered. Although on this one, he put up a real strong performance. The final climb of the GC men, he was the fastest one. But on the flat sections, you know, he uh, he loses time to those better time trials. You're too modest to say it since since you in 1988, Dan Martin. Uh, sorry, highest finish from an Irishman. Yes, well, uh, yeah, that's it's, it's nice to see, and it's nice to see that Dan Martin, you know, is uh, f- getting on the um, the fourth uh, place in the overall standings. Um, at this point in his career, you know, it is going to give him that morale boost uh, going on because he he has been struggling this year big time with injuries and. Uh, you know, this is a great way to finish the season for him, although he would have loved to get on the podium. But yeah, he just gave it his best shot in the time trial. And from that point on, uh, you know, he wasn't able to make any uh, inroads to pulling back the, the difference or trying to get on the podium. Hugh Carthy, Brad, if he had had a stronger team riding for him, because a lot of the time we just saw Michael Woods riding for him or yeah. Hugh riding on his own. If Hugh had a stronger team around him, do you think he could have put in a proper challenge for the overall? Well, he could have done, yeah. But, you know, I think... No one was to know that he would be in this position. I don't think Hugh thought he would be in this position. Well, he was in two minds as to whether or not to go to the Vuelta originally. I know, I'm, glad, I'm glad he did. But he's made the breakthrough without a team, if you like. He's got third in a grand tour now, and it sets him up for next year with Martinez leaving the team. Um, On his way to Ineos, yeah. Yeah, hopefully um, Valters will back him. Yeah, hopefully he'll have a stronger team around him in something like the Tour de France next year, because I think he that race really suits him. Winning on the Anglerou as well, the Vuelta's queen stage. I mean, it it feels like a breakthrough year for Hugh Carthy, especially after what we saw he could do coming in 11th on GC at the Giro last year and some awesome performances in the high mountains. But in terms of a of a real, for him, a psychological breakthrough, what sort of difference will the Anglerou make to him and his career? Well, I mean, it's you saw what it meant to him. To win on the Anglerou, it's, um, it's not been in the race long, since 99, so 21 years. Uh, Jose Maria Jimenez won the stage. Very good. Um, and um, 
it's become iconic. You know, it's as iconic as the Zonkerland. A bit like Planche de Belfi in the tour now. You know, they're very mm. new climbs and, and huge to win on there. It was, uh, that's the one to win. Well, I think, uh, you know, winning a stage uh, for Hukarty, you would expect that to come because, you know, he has been uh, very much there or thereabouts uh, in the past. And um, I think the big thing is, you know, where he finished in the GC, to be there every day, uh, and having to fight for your place on uh, you know every mountain top finish, every flat uh, running, you have to you know be careful, stay up there, not to lose any time, as we've talked about. Uh, so you know that is something totally new, and uh, you know he's done that now, and um, yeah, it's going to be a totally different situation for Hugh Carty. Of course, we know with EF uh, Pro Cycling, Danny Martinez is leaving. He came into this Vuelta, he didn't have that pressure. You know, Danny Martinez, I think, was the one who they're expecting to do something in the GC, and who who was you know coming into this uh, the race relaxed, no pressure. But that's it all changed now. You know, he'll be going to the uh, whatever his program is next year. He'll be going to those races, and the team will you know possibly built around him. And uh, you know that pressure uh, can have an effect on a rider. Will he support that? You know, sometimes we see riders totally crack when they do have a team built around them, and there are that big expectations of them. So, you know, it's going to be interesting times for him. And, um, yeah, it will be interesting. But he should come away from this uh, Vuelta with much more confidence because, you know, to finish on the podium. Uh, but, you know, what way will that uh, what way will that work? Will it have, you know, that positive effect? But when he has that pressure of team leader, will that, you know, be the weight on his shoulders? Will he be able to support that? That we will see all next year. What he's doing is obviously working. He said, Brad, that he won't change too much. What would you change if you were Hugh Carthy, if anything? Or how would you approach, perhaps a better question is... I don't think he needs to change too much. I think he's finished package, really, because his mentality is great. It's for the team to now look at the structure and get the riders in or work around supporting him, really, as the team leader now. You know, I think... When was the last time um, someone from that team finished on the podium in the Grand Tour? I mean... Hezjadal? Yeah, rider. Rider. Before that, me. In Uh, 2009? yeah. Yeah. So... You know, they've got a real opportunity to support someone who's capable of, of winning a Grand Tour. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, the man who's proved himself uh, far and, well, head and shoulders above everyone else, Roglic, back to him. 12 wins from 50 days of racing this year. That's a sensational return, particularly after, as we said, he had to pick himself up off the floor after the Tour de France. Yeah. Um, and he would have won the Dauphiné, wouldn't he, it's fair to say? He, he was in the position to win that, and he had the crash, of course. I'm not sure if the crash was the all the reason that he pulled out of the race. I think they were thinking, yes, you know, he's in, uh, he's in the good shape now for the Tour de France, and uh, with the crash, let's not take any risks. Uh, if he really had to go on, I think it would have been maybe possible to do that. And, uh, yeah, he's, uh, you know, from the time the season restarted, uh, he's, you know, having an amazing run, and... Yeah, the question was always going to be, would he be able to hold on uh, in the end of the Tour of France? We're talking about first of all, uh, and we see the results there. But then after the Tour of France, like he hit the ground running, and he went yeah, to the World Championships, um, uh, the Liège Bastogne Liège, and then coming into the Vuelta, we see he was in an amazing form in the first number of days. And we're asking the question again: Would he be able to hold it all the way for the three weeks? Um, and he did hold it together quite well. But in this uh, final number of days, I think he was starting to tire a bit. But, yeah, everybody was tiring because of, you know, a very, very difficult Vuelta uh, route-wise and weather conditions. 
to keep that level, Brad, that's that's something special for for Primoz Roglic coming into the the rebooted season, coming coming out with a monument and a grand tour. But he's um he's done that for the last couple of years. I mean, last year he didn't ride the tour, did he? But he got third in the Giro. He won the Vuelta. Um, he's an amazing athlete. He's, um, he's at a ripe age. He's fresh to the sport. But I think the last I'm trying to think now is it last four or five Grand Tours he's finished on the podium. Mm. That's quite something, uh, and that for someone who's new to the sport, <laughs> that's a testament to his team as well because they've looked awesomely strong. They, yeah. You know, Jumbo. They've Vizpano. really supported him and backed him, and I think that team really suits him. Yeah. Um, so George Bennett was saying that uh, Meryn Zeman. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He read before, out the, the team yeah, results. And read out the results. So twenty-three victories for them. Guys, uh, an incredible season <laughs> for uh, for the yellow and black team. In fact, let's play his interview in now. George, first of all, what an extraordinary season it's been for this team. Can you like, just take us through your feelings when you look back over it? Oh, mate, it's... it's uh, when you see it on paper, I mean, we at the start of this race, actually, uh, Marijn Zeman, he, he's, he's quite good at giving good motivating speeches, and he walked on the bus and he, he actually read us out all our podiums and wins from this year. And... Uh, when you hear it and when you see it or hear it, you think, well, that's really an impressive thing. And I mean, from every block, from the classics, from the from the one week races, the grand tours. Um, so, yeah, it's special. It's it's a great group of riders. The, you know, the whole wider team, not just the eight that were here or in the tour or anywhere. And and there's a lot of special people behind the scenes that, that make it happen. And so, um, yeah, last year was was our big year that we sort of really uh, arrived and and, uh, and it's even harder to stay there and this year I think we even took a step up. I think now the big the big task is going to be staying here with with you know people look to our model of racing it's like we copied Ineos in a way uh, in some regards and I think people will then look at what we're doing and say okay this is the future and there's going to be teams that come and yeah, I mean, I think we just need to enjoy this special time and I don't know that you really realise how special it is until you look back and go, OK, that was really a purple patch for us and, and yeah. It's already been a purple patch, but the way that we see you as a team riding and with the special riders that you have, the individuals as well as the team, it doesn't look like that purple patch is going to come to an end anytime soon. No, no, if we can keep the band together, I think uh, I think we'll, we'll, we'll keep going well. But, you know, I mean, we look at... I mean, now look at the signings from Ineos, you know. I mean, they've got Yatesy going there, you've got Martinez, you've got Richie Port, you've got rumours of Lazov, you've got, room, you know, I mean, there's teams are becoming super teams again. I mean, UAE with Pogaccia. I mean, what he did in the tour, I mean, you could have the eight strongest guys in the race, but if you don't have him, maybe he's also hard to beat. So it's it's heaps of challenges ahead and heaps of things that we need to do and improve and all that stuff, but... Honestly, mate, I just don't want to think about that for a couple of weeks and, you know, let that be a problem for future, George. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Lots of people are going to talk about what a strong rider Primoz is. One of the things that's really come across in the last few weeks and at the end of the tour was what a nice guy he is, what sports, what sportsmanship he has within him and how just what a really great guy he's been with all of you and with all of us too. Yeah, yeah, no, he is a, he is a really, really good guy. Um, you know, don't let him fool you that he's a, he's, he's a, you know, he's a killer as well, you know. He's really got a lot of mongrel in him, which he uses on the bike. But off the bike, you know, he's a gentleman. And uh, it's, it's a pleasure to ride for, for a guy like that, you know. It's, it makes a big, big difference. I mean, 
after the tour there's no way I wanted to get up and ride the Vuelta but you know when Primoz said he was up for it and then they said okay well you know it, may, it gives me the motivation to, to get myself together and, and make it happen. Looking ahead to next year then chaps will Jumbo Visma be the team to beat or can we expect Ineos to, to raise their game given you know who they've got coming in so we've, we've mentioned Martinez they've got Adam Yates coming in. They've got Richie Port coming back. What do we think? I think they're going to bounce back. Dave's going to re- re-look at that unit because they've had a disappointing year. I mean, they had a great Giro, didn't they? Of course. But Tour de France is the one that they really target and what they're renowned for and known for. And he's going to want to, you know, bounce back and become the number one team, isn't he? Um, I mean, they almost had a great Giro. They've got a lot of signings, but again, they're not. I look at Jumbo and I look at um, George Bennett and the kind of, the link between the sort of English-speaking riders there, and that creates that kind of is it anti- An- antipodean. Yeah, that kind of culture. Yeah. Whereas Ineos is kind of very sort of South American and Spanish-speaking, and I'm not sure how that works with a British backing team in terms of like Dave Brailsford and people like that. Because I've always put the success when we were there down to the fact that it was very much in-house and felt like a family with people you knew running the system, like Rod and that. Dave, it's just all a bit mixed mishmashy now. Mm. Um, not to say it doesn't work, of course it does, but you stick Geraint, Thomas, and Teo and all those guys in with the kind of contingent that rode the Tour de France. It can work, of course, but in some ways that's kind of the, the, the sort of problem that Hugh Carthy faced in his team. You know, very, they're very different cultures, aren't they? And the talk at the dinner table and things like that is quite important, you know, in terms of own life. I mean, Sean spent years in a Spanish team and that must be quite different for quite culture, you know, compared to when you were like PDM with the Dutch guys and... Yes, well, it's certainly... In terms of dinner table and the atmosphere and it's... And when you have, uh, you know, when you have a mix of uh, many different uh, nationalities and cultures, uh, it can be a problem. But, um, you know, I think, yes, yeah, the riders, yeah, they, they mix quite well together. I think the big problem this year for uh, the Ineos Grenadiers guys is the programme of races, the way it was structured. And you look back at the way they have been working uh, in the last number of years. The guys, they do a race, then they have a rest time, then they go to a, an altitude training camp. And, you know, you're mentally tuned into that structure. And some guys have difficulty uh, when you cannot do that. And that's been the case this year because with the, uh, with the race programme being so compact over a short period of time, uh, it is a difficult one, you know, to um, to adapt to, and some riders can adapt, but others you have major difficulty. But if you look at you know Ineos, they have they have the the the, the power there, they have the talent, uh, but it's just a matter of getting you know the program of races for those guys correct, and uh, that was uh, the the problem this year. It just got totally you know changed about, and uh, everybody was just knocked out of their normal structure, and it can you know affect. And I think yeah, Ineos was the ones that suffered because of that. Almost because they plan the best most of the time, or it feels like they they always they always stick have to such, yeah um, that everything being thrown up in the air this year played against them. But then, like we say. That Giro d'Italia, which I think we'll return to actually, Brad. Um, yeah. When we uh, when we talk about our moments of the season. Moments of the uh, so we'll be back with more from the Bradley Wiggins show right after this. Lacquer's collective cover is made especially for cyclists for life on and off your bike. They've transformed traditional insurance to provide customers with a fairer, collective-driven approach. Say goodbye to fixed upfront premiums. Instead, your monthly contributions are based on the collective's claims that month. 
Your max monthly price is capped, but the savings are all yours. And they have some big news. Lacquer will be running its first ever crowdfunding campaign and offering equity for the pack. Cyclists have helped Lacquer bring a much better model of insurance to the masses, and that's why they want to invite you to join the ride. They're stoked to be able to give the Bradley Wiggins Show listeners the opportunity to own a part of Lacquer. You can invest in the future of Lacquer from as little as £10 and become a huge part of their collective. To register and find out more about Lacquer's crowdfunding, head to www.lacquer.co. Remember that when investing, your capital is at risk. This announcement was approved by Cedars. Brad, Sean, Chris Froome. We saw him presented with a trophy of sorts this morning for his 2011 well to win. It was. A, it looked like a disappointing trophy to yeah. have, yeah. Um, he said after the stage that it's been an emotional day um, and an emotional race for him, understandably, yeah. his last race for Team Ineos after more than a decade there. Um, before we get into that, let's hear from him now. It's uh, been an emotional day, last day with the team. It's been 11, 11 years. Um, I'm excited about what lies ahead, but it's also time for me to reflect on on all the all the highs and lows, really, of the last 11 years. Well, today especially, I mean, um, the, the 2011 Vuelta, where I won my first Grand Tour, it turns out. Um, and, yeah, I mean, obviously being here at the Vuelta and being awarded that trophy this morning, I brought back a lot of memories from, from that period and that sort of, uh, I guess, the... The progression that I had to to get to that point, um, it sort of puts everything into perspective. Um, so, Brad, like I said, it's uh, an emotional time for for Chris Froome. It's going to be a huge change for him. This is something that you can really speak to. Um, you've said several times that you felt institutionalised by Team Sky and, yeah. and actually getting your head around um, racing beyond that, um, or even you know just living your life beyond that, was was something very difficult to do. How do you think Froome will fare? Um, I think he'll be fine. He's got a good family, wife and kids around him. I think he um, he's very professional. He's good at what he does. Um, he's leaving for a reason, let's not forget. I think he's leaving um, to continue the leadership role, take on the leadership role, sole leadership role, in order to try and win a fifth Tour de France, which he's capable of doing. Um, Ineos is a very cutthroat system in terms of it's a very elite system. They've got... How many leaders there that can win a Grand Tour now? It feels like five or six, yeah. with the addition of Yates and And Martinez. with Chris's crash, you have to say that was a setback um, in the pecking order. He sort of fills that. He didn't get selected for the Tour this year, rightly or wrongly. Um, and he's been given the sole leadership role uh, team to try in order to try and win win more, which is is good for us in watching. Mm. And I think he's capable of doing it, but it shows the um, the drive he's still got in order to come back and prove a point. I think his performance over the last three weeks at the Vuelta, given his crash last summer, I mean, we, we should first of all probably, Sean, say congratulations to Chris Froome for finishing a three-week yeah. Grand Tour uh, at all, uh, given what he's come back from, be, what he's yeah. bounced back from. So that that in itself was great to see. Do we expect him to be able to recover to his, his previous status of being a Grand Tour challenger now? Well, I think the uh, the improvement he made this year, considering the race programme and uh, everything that went on, He's made you know uh, big big improvements, uh, and we see that in this uh, vuelta of recent, and um, you know that is going to give him a big motivation to uh, you know continue on working out to keep your focus, uh, because that can be a problem. If he had a real difficult vuelta, 
you know, you can start losing your uh, belief. Uh, but I don't think that's going to be the case. He's going to come out now of this Vuelta, you know, with a very positive mindset. And uh, he's going to work on it, you know, a lot now over the next uh, couple of months. Take a bit of rest time out and then start thinking about next year. So I think uh, he's definitely on the road, you know, to coming back and being very competitive to win another big three-weeker. Uh, he's a lot done, but uh, there's still a lot more to do. Mm. Israel Startup Nation, uh, I mean, it's... A new challenge will do him a lot of good, in a way. Yeah, and they've got some good signings. Um, Dan Martin Stain, I believe, is he? Yes. Yeah. yeah um, they're, they're, they're a strong well. unit. They're yeah. a strong unit. They've signed some big names, haven't they? Um, and they're, they're all going to be supportive of Chris. Um, they've got a great chance next year of really backing him to staff-wise and everything. I don't really know the, the backing team there, but Chris is going to bring a lot to the table, don't forget. He's going to have demands of what he wants from time trial bikes, etc. Um you know he's he's a professional out and out professional and he has high high expectations of the level of performance particularly coming from Ineos and he's going to want to replicate that there just give us a word on Ian Stannard um who has announced this week he's retiring because of rheumatoid arthritis a man that has ridden for you Brad that you've ridden for as well um he's only 33 I was I was, I was amazed to read that yeah uh, obviously arthritis has put paid to script but he's had a great career what I mean, a great rider he's going to go down as a legend one of our greats in, not necessarily in the Grand Tours and things, although he rode for Chris Froome in the Grand Tours, um, but in races that get forgotten about sometimes that so many people love, that obviously Sean won a lot of in the classics. I mean, he's third in Paris-Roubaix, won mm. Head Newsblad twice, third in Colonel Russell's Kerner. You know, he's up there with our best classic rides, probably one of our best classic rides, ahead of um, Roger Hammond and Barry Hoban and the like. One of the hardest, grittiest riders there is, is what hardest. Dave Brailsford said. Yeah, sure. Would you agree with that? 100%. I think yeah, he was you know, um, a rider that was, had the talent to do those um, classic races. One thing I would say about Stannard was uh, I think if he, um, if he, if he was more uh, tactically aware and um, you know, not riding at times in the races, in those races where you do not have to ride, I think he could have you know, won bigger ones. Um, but... Whatever, you know, the uh, the palm race is there and I think you know, he's going to be happy with that. But that's something we all look back at, you know, when you look uh, in hindsight, you look back at your career and you say, you, you know, you should have done this or done that differently. That is maybe going to be the case. But I certainly believe, uh, you know, if he was technically more shrewd, he could have had, you know, better results and possibly won the one of the, Although that had one, news one the, monu- one of the monuments. The hat news bloody one with the free quick step was quite something, wasn't it? Well, that was an amazing one because, yeah, you know, when you, when you find yourself in the final with three of the big guys from quick, from quick yeah. step, you know, you immediately are going to say, well, I'm no, I have no chance here, but not at all. He just, you know, uh, attacked those guys in the end and amazing, so powerful, he was able to just ride so strong. And that's when he was at uh, the peak of his career. Yeah, I mean, that was a mix of three things to me. It was Stannard's power, that was quick steps, uh, naivety in the in the finale. Um, and then in the end, it, it was um, it was actually tactically brilliantly played by Stannard. But it was his out-and-out love of those races as well. He, you know, he never wanted to win the Tour de France from a young age. He wanted to win Paris-Roubaix. Yeah. He was a classics rider through and through and lived up to it. Let's move to looking at our moments of the season then. I mean, it's all, all done in a flash in the end, uh, in the past three months. Brad, I think there can only be one moment of the season for you. He's a well, geezer. I, d- I, don't, I don't think I'm jumping the gun here to no, say. No, Teo, isn't it? My boy. What can Teo, I say? Teo Gagan Hart's Giro d'Italia victory. Won the Giro. 
Get your head around it. Yeah, well, believe um, it, toe. Start to believe it. It was it was an amazing Don't forget it. An amazing Giro for Ineos with seven stage wins. Teo, of course, among them. Um, I've never seen a race quite like that before. <laughs> We've been blessed with them recently, haven't we? I mean, the Tour de France was something special, yeah. as well, wasn't it? But it, in terms of the, if it being turned upside down almost you know a, a, a contender who uh i mean when we had pippa york on she was saying everyone is still a factor yeah come true. the end of the second week yeah. um and, and how and right she wasn't was on your list when we started the yeah, year, of course he? he wasn't no I, and i'm your sorry four to say, riders, no, no. can you see anybody beating these guys yeah. uh, uh, which you know just goes to show what i know um but it but it, it also great to watch it was yeah, great for us it, wasn't it it was superb to, to to have a gc battle that was anything but predictable come the end yeah um, it's superb we all loved watching it, but let's not forget Jai Hindley as well. I mean, he was well. He made, he made the race with Taylor, yeah, yeah. yeah. The cracking of Kelderman, Rowan Dennis. I mean, he was amazing. MVP, yeah. Who's he? Well, the most valuable. Well, he's, oh, he's not it? quite Matthew van der Poel, no, as, as in the most valuable player. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I won't go that far, Graham. Uh, Sean um, Ganner, yeah. Jerry well, Gitton. top top Ganner, yeah. yeah. Dominated the time trials and won that um, won that intermediate stage as well. Sean. Reflection on the Giro for us before we come to you and your, because I, I think your uh, moment of the season is, is probably just as predictable. Well, I think the Giro was you know, an amazing race and um, yeah, it was totally, uh, I think, uh, surprise uh, in the end, the way uh, the general classification was fought out. Uh, we were expecting some of the older guys to be very much up there. You know, Nibali were taught that he would be able to uh, produce one of these performances because he made that the target of his of the season. But uh, you know, it's again the situation we're in with a lot of you know younger guys, maybe not so younger guys. Uh, you know, just uh, seem to be able to uh, raise their level now in the stage races and also in the one day race as well. Let's not forget. But uh, yeah. yeah it's been a magnificent season and you know the Giro um, that was uh, an amazing final as we have had in all the three Grand Tours and did you see that coming from Teo? well no um, not uh, in the earlier part of the race uh, you know uh, before we went into the, uh, the race I wouldn't have put him up there at all uh, but you know circumstances changed because of you know Geraint Thomas crashing and uh, slowly but surely, you know, he just started to get better as the race went on. And, um, you know, the circumstances in the race as well. Um, but, yeah, it just proves again, you know, he was there as a, as a domestique going into the race for Ineos Grenadiers. And then when the circumstances changed about, you know, he was just able to um, raise his level. He just got the form, you know, he clicked right at the right time. He just started better as the race went on. And when that happens, you can do an amazing things. We all knew Theo was capable of doing great rides, but doing it in a three-week race, I didn't you know, expect that at all. Did you expect Sam Bennett to take green at the Tour de France? And, and is that your moment of the season? Well, yes, that is one of uh, that is one of the moments because we've had so many, as I've uh, just mentioned. But uh, Sam's uh, performance... Um, you know, there was big expect- expectations uh, of him, moving team and all of that. We know that history there. And uh, with, uh, the, with the Coney Quickstep, we knew that, you know, he was going to have the perfect lead out. And that meant he was going to be in the, uh, in the fight for the green jersey. But I was always concerned with uh, Sagan that he would just, you know, keep on working at it and keep on grinding him down. And he did that. But Sam, you know, he battled on in that second week, uh, 
I was majorly concerned that he was going to you know get into difficulty, and he was. But then the third week, he seems to get better, got more confident, and uh, from there on, you could see you know he was getting very confident as we got into the final three or four days, and uh, yeah, winning the uh, green jersey before that final sprint on the Champs-Élysées in that, in that final intermediate sprint and then of course the uh, the stage victory uh, you know it was uh, it was amazing and something yeah I was always hoping he, he could do believed he could do it but there was always that little bit of doubt as well for that green jersey and uh, yeah it, it all it all worked out and just an amazing performance and uh, yeah so 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 great to see and so great to, you know to be part of you said on the breakaway earlier, I think, that you were dreaming it would happen. Yes. Well, you always dream, you know. Um, as a rider, you dream a bit. But then when you look at the riders that you have, you know, maybe a, a, a lot of contact with in their earlier days, which we had with Sam when we had the team. And, uh, you know, we knew that that talent was there. Uh, so, you you know, you dream a bit about those things when you move into a team like you've done this year. But uh, yeah, until it really happened, uh, yeah, those dreams, yeah, it's difficult to see them, you know, coming through. But when they happen, when they actually happen, it's amazing. And when I was commentating on that final stage, you know, in the commentary box, I, uh, my heart rate, I think, was higher than Sam's was. Uh, and you know, you get so emotional, and it, it's an amazing feeling. It's just something that you uh, you get when you're in there yourself in the race. Maybe not as much because. You're you're so concentrated on the race, so it's just uh, it's just an experience uh, I wouldn't like to have too many times in my old age. You were um, you were commentating on today's stage as well, which we should briefly mention. And of course, Sam Bennett featured in the uh, in what in what was a photo finish with Pascal Ackerman, Ackerman taking it in the end. Um, but I thought for all the world, as soon as the quick step train kicked into gear, I thought for all the world we're going to see Bennett do it today as well. Yes, well, the quick step did kick in a, a little bit too early, maybe, but yeah, they uh, they were concerned about the break out front, you know, the four guys, and uh, yeah, they lost a little bit of you know the uh, uh, the, the the team grouping in the end, and also Sam uh, he lost a lot of a lot of places, you know, be uh, in that final corner, so he had to make up uh, with Morkow, and uh, when you have to do that. Uh, you know, you pay in the end. And we could see Sam, he was, you know, in the wheel of Ackerman, but he was waiting, waiting. That tells me that, you know, he was feeling not 100%, not his normal confident where he can kick out that bit earlier. Mm. And then when he did kick, he hadn't that, you know, huge explosive uh, power, which he he's shown this year. And because he's been suffering big time in the last number of days, this last week of the race, it's he been a has killer. been... He is he has been struggling. Where you know Pascal Ackerman has seen he's been seen to be you know getting better as this race went on, and we see him in those these difficult days. Ackerman was you know very comfortable getting over, and that is you know very important at the end of a of a three week tour. And Ackerman just had that more power today, and Sam had the effects of what he went through in this final week of the Vuelta. Mm. Brad, who do we expect? to challenge Bennett and Ackerman for the uh, for the, the sprint points next season. Are we looking at Arnold um, Demar? Are we, least, are we still looking at Peter Sagan Demar, for the green jersey? Sagan, I don't think he's as he's more of an all rounder these days. Um, but Demar definitely. But I think I mean I think I think Sagan at his best is still the favourite for green. We saw that in the Giro, the way he rode on that stage. He picks up points on stages like that in the climbs, you know? Yeah, it doesn't, um, doesn't have to... He gets ahead of the, the race, as we saw this year. And him on his day is um, unbeatable in that competition, sadly. Um, I'm going to give you a moment of the season as well. Um, Go part, for it, part, part, Partly because Sean... So I, th- I think about Wout van Aert um, winning San Remo 
in a sprint to the line with Julian Alaphilippe after a, a Kelly-esque descent off the Poggio. Um, and I think we should also mention Pogacar at the, or Pogaccia, sorry, at the Tour. Yeah. Um, real kind of take-your-breath-away stuff, taking the other jersey on the final day in the final five kilometres um, on, the, on the final climb of the time trial. Um, and I, I don't think any of us called it, apart from, because we didn't give him full credit at the time, apart from Podcast Pete, who, who, who did call it. Podcast Pete. Um, but that was that was the sort of stage where you're you're watching it and you're actually questioning whether or not what you are seeing is real. Yeah, have um, they got the have they got the time right on the transponder? Well, yeah, I mean we've seen that before, haven't we? With uh, Le Monde and Vignon, it was one of them as well, similar. And every now and again, you get you get one like that, and it was history in the making. This kid's, you know, he's potentially we always say he could win eight or nine tours. Whether he will or not is another thing. We've we've seen him come and go. We thought that would burn out last year. We saw it with Jan Ulrich. But this year, that, that, that time draw was, you know, to come from a minute, 45, 46 seconds down, was it? Or a minute down on GC, but to win by a minute as well. Mm. To take two minutes out of Rodlich. And it was only a five, six kilometre climb. Yeah, absolutely incredible. Looking ahead to next season then, so are we looking at Pogacar to defend his, his tour title? Are we looking at the return perhaps of Egan Bernal? Are we looking at Ivanapol, all being well back to full fitness? Are we looking at him? Are we looking at Primoz Roglic to, to actually do it at the Tour this time? Give us some predictions for next season, chaps. Well, I think uh, Remco Evenpool, we have to wait and see if he can uh, digest, handle a three-week Tour. Uh, you know, He is uh, certainly a huge talent, but uh, we'd have to wait a little bit and see on that one. Uh, but you have to look at you know, Bernal and uh, the ones we have uh, at the moment, um, Carapaz, Roglic, they're all going to be very much in there fighting. And I think, uh, yeah, those are, the, those are the three guys, uh, I think, for me, who will be uh, very much uh, there next year. Um, trying to think who else is in or about there, but, you know, uh, I, I think they are the men to beat. Will Teo be given his chance again at the Giro? Or will G be given a chance again? <sighs> who knows? And that's that in itself. Is I think G will be, definitely. G's still a class act. Um Teo, I don't know, it's going to be tough for Teo. I don't think he'll push himself forward. I might be wrong. Um, I hope he gets a chance, but he certainly deserves it. I mean, the way he rode that last week, his confidence. Um, but they've got, some, they've got so many players, haven't they? Mm. It's just hard to see where he'll fit in. If you could pick a standout rider this season, who would it be? Van Aert. Yeah. Sean? Van Aert. Yeah, it speaks for itself. So I was, I was going to say exactly well, the you same. you, bless you. Part, well, partly because we haven't mentioned him and I feel like we should. We should. Uh, g- given his consistency. Yeah. Um, and given... <laughs> <laughs> given how hard he's worked at the Grand... Well, at the Tour de France for Primoz Roglic in particular. We saw him gunning it at the front time after time. We saw him winning stages. We saw him up there at the Worlds. True all-rounder. Yeah, winning San Remo. Sean? Well, you know, he's had an amazing season and... Um, you know, you see him winning Strada, then he went to Milan San Remo, and uh, you know, Alaphilippe, he was uh, you know, uh, Alaphilippe at his best. Mm. But um, Wolf van Aert, you know, he just uh, played it cool. Then on the descent of the Poggio, just uh, came back to uh, Alaphilippe and uh, went into the final. And we see in that final run to the line, Alaphilippe wasn't going to take it up as he usually does in a situation like that. When he feels somebody might be that bit faster, he's done it before. He did it in Amstel Gold with um, uh, with the uh, rider from Astana. 
uh, where they you know marked each other out of it. Um, Jakob Fuglsang. Fuglsang, yes, yeah. was the one. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, you know, Van Aert, you know, he just laid out. The group was coming up very quickly, and to keep your cool in that situation, not to take it up too quickly, very, very confident, uh, you know, in the final, and that is, um, that is a you know a real test of a rider. You know, you can be have the class physically, but to be to be able to keep your cool in the final of a Milan San Remo, because a Milan San Remo is you know it's one of the it's it's one of the big monuments, and he just did that so well, uh, timed it to perfection, kept his cool, and uh, yeah, won these Milan San Remo, and then. You know, the Tour of France, he was working for uh, Pogacar. Then three kilometres, two kilometres before the finish, he was told, OK, well, you can uh, you can go for the sprint now because everything is OK. And to be able to do that, just to readjust, like that is an amazing talent. And, you know, the sprints he won in the Tour. And uh, then after the Tour went on, you know, World Championships, you know, the way he was performing, time trial and road race, yeah, that is uh, that is a huge, huge talent he has got. The way he's able to, you know, go on for, you know, that time as well. We talked about Roglic, but we, you know, um, uh, Wout van Aert, what he done this year. The you know the way he showed uh, uh, the talent he has got, the coolness he's got at the times when he need to be. That is just uh, pure class. And we should also mention Matthew van der Poel. Um, do we expect? Do we do we expect to see in the same way that we saw? Um, van der Poel, Wout van Aert and Julian Alaphilippe dominate the classics. Do we expect to see that again next season? I mean, sure, Sean, you're our classics man. Yes, I think uh, Van der Poel just struggled a bit uh, when we came back to the uh, the rescheduled calendar. And uh, that's something, uh, there's a lot of riders, a lot of teams have had problems um, just uh, getting it right. Uh, it was a totally new situation for the rider, for the coach. Everything is something they never experienced in their career. So it knocked a lot of guys, you know, out of their normal routine. And uh, but Van der Poel, you know, as we were getting further into the season, then he was he was getting better. And we see in the Tour of Flanders, got it, got his monument, didn't he? Yes, he got his monument. And uh, I think the, the the next season, hopefully, will be all back to norm, and then we will see Van der Poel. Wout van Aert will be definitely there and Alaphilippe is you know, still there and he's uh, still hungry to win these one-day races and he said that Tour of Flanders is you know, uh, a major target for him for next season. Even if things aren't back to normal next season, the peloton has shown or the, the race organisers have shown that it is possible, even yeah. while life as we, we knew it is on hold, um, that it is possible to organise a, a race calendar. Um, yeah. So, is, is Brad, is that what we can expect for 2021? Well, we'll see, won't we? See how the world is. But, we got through this season as bad as the world is at the moment. So it, it bodes well for next year that we can actually have bike racing. Yeah, and we'll look forward to it. We will. That brings us to the end of this episode of the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport. Thank you again to our sponsor, Lacquer Bicycle Insurance. Thanks, Lacquer. Uh, Brad, in the off-season, we can follow you on social media at... So, so we go. So we go. Sean, on Twitter, you're at... Sean at Sean Kelly CC. Lovely. Uh, you can follow Eurosport on Twitter at Eurosport underscore UK. Plus, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. To the to the Iron Man um, of, of Eurosport, uh, take take a bow, Pete Burton. Uh, he's, Pete he's worked harder on right. on Eurosport and GTN's TV coverage and this podcast um, than than yeah. well, I think anyone we could you, have Pete. expected. Harder than than Sepp Chris has Pete. for Primoz Roglic all season. Here, here, Pete. Superb, thank you. Sean, thank you for, for all your appearances across the thank season you, on, the, on the Bradley Biggins Show. Pleasure. A pleasure, thank you. Um, and Brad, thank you. Nah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Graham. Let's do it all again soon. Uh, finally from me, Graham Wilgos, it's goodbye. 
If you've enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, share your thoughts, and rate us on your podcast platform of choice. Brad, we'll see you next season. <laughs> Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.